0: Welcome to the Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lillis, and I'm glad you're here, glad you're listening, hope everybody's doing all right, healthy, and you know, settling into a routine of normalcy, which um, which is not normal. I'm excited, this week I talked with director and professor, uh, Damon Kiley, a good friend of mine who I have known for 30 years since we were both roommates and interns, directing interns at Portland Stage Company. And Damon's gone on. He uh, was artistic director of a theater in Chicago. He is now head of performance at DePaul University and, uh, and directed all over. And, and a great guy. And the conversation is, I love talking to him. It was it, it not only was like talking to a good friend which sound, sounds like basically two good friends having a conversation and catching up and one of the things that uh, he stresses that I think is important is talking about his approach to getting jobs and how thorough he is and I think that's really useful no matter you know whether you're going for acting directing you know uh, or any job in the world and, it, and I thought it was I thought it was good and I was thinking about that and then about pursuing jobs, because one of the things I've been struggling with, with the farm is, you know, we cultivate early career artists. And, you know, yesterday, Broadway announced they're not coming back for 2000 and not that the farm community is necessarily going to be on Broadway tomorrow or January 1st, 2021. But it's emblematic or symptomatic of uh, there not being a lot of work. You know, there's not traditional paths right now. And there will be. And there'll be non-traditional paths. And as everybody has said, who we've talked to on this, there's no one path to building a career. Uh, but it did get me thinking about, you know, I you know people are, are are evaluating how are they going to be creative artists? How are they going to be storytellers? How are they going to do what they do, what they are trained to do. And that's what I'm thinking about the farm is how can we help? And I think I say this, and I say this on the podcast in the newsletter, you know, let us know what you need, what you're thinking about. And I wanted to make sure to mention one of the things we're doing is we're going to hold a roundtable um, July 30th, Thursday, Eastern Standard Time of 4 o'clock to 5.30 with three voiceover actors just to talk about that business because that business has not stopped. People are doing audiobooks and radio, you know, audio plays and voiceovers and promos and, and um, I thought, well, it'd be great. We can have a conversation about what is that to do so that you, people can find out if they're interested in that. And the other Interesting thing. Since we can't all be together in the same room, it'll be over Zoom. So, you know, look for information on the farm's website, on the Facebook page, on uh, the newsletter, and wherever you are in the in the world, you can come check out the conversation. You know, and we used to do these live before the bullpen session. Before it became a podcast, we would bring in people and talk on a topic, and you know. How'd you get started? What's useful? What equipment do you need? Stuff like that. And, you know, I'll facilitate the beginning asking questions, then we'll open it up to anybody. And I, I'm excited about that because I think it's useful for people to think about if they want to do something else, what do they need to know to do it? And I know that there's a lot of evaluating going on right now, knowing that, you know, the life you've built, if you're like Damon and I, you've been doing it for 30 years, it's different. We talk about that too. We talk about that different with the training at DePaul and how we're going about it. But also, if you're, just entering a training program or just beginning your professional pursuit you know it's different and different you know isn't <laughs> I want to say it isn't always fun you know it's, uh, I fear change but it also means that there's a freedom in it of thinking about what I have skills how am I going to apply them but it's not not thinking about that and just about how to get a job but how am I going to be an artist okay I can't get 30 people in a room I can't get 300 people in a room the way I used to I can't do that, but I can do something. And I talk about it a lot. How are we going to, how am I going to intentionally be creating? And so voice, the voice acting workshop came out of that. Uh, we're commissioning a school play, a play with one of the colleges to, to get one of our writers in our community to write a socially distanced play that can be performed socially distanced and rehearsed socially distanced so that they can fully do that and i think oh that's exciting gives an opportunity to a writer but also going to create potential for the students at the college to actually work in a room with other people even if they're not within six feet of each other and um just looking at stuff like that and then figuring out and i think this part is for me what am i going to do how am i going to do it what am i going to translate this to so that i can communicate or create and generate art that it resonates with me as important and personal and shared in a way that's meaningful to me. That's going to be different than the way I've done it the past 30 years, because probably not doing it in person anytime in the next couple of months. That said, it's a really thoughtful conversation with Damon and uh, love him. I've known him my entire professional career. and I'm really just do as glad to catch up and have the conversation. So hope you enjoy it. And with that, play ball.
1: So I mean I I am still and I will be at least for a little while longer incredibly busy because teaching online a full load of online classes is more time consuming than teaching regular classes. Um, plus I'm on a, in a position of um, whatever management not management exactly but I'm the chair of performance which means I have at least two one-hour meetings twice a week uh, with the executive committee along with a bunch of other meetings along with just trying to like keep the damn school open you know so there's yeah that. i gotta
0: figure you guys are meeting all the time just to talk about what's going to happen next year
1: that's exactly right and so less than two weeks we're going to tell our acting students that all of their classes will be online in the fall which we understand is not going to be something that many of them are going to want to hear but we feel like the only, as far as we can tell, we don't really know, but maybe it's safe to have three people in a room wearing masks 15 feet apart, maybe. What, what kind of acting class is that?
0: Like what you're talking about. I don't know what I would do if I was an acting student and I was a, a grad student. I know what I would do if I was an undergrad student. I would not go.
1: Yeah, I think that's fine. I mean, here's the thing that we could say, like great, don't go. That's totally fine. There's not an industry to walk into, so you're not doing that. If you're gonna become a contact tracer, great. Have a great year. Come
0: back. No, I would what I would do is I would go to you know, and it's funny, I, I I don't recommend this for all the colleges that partner with the farm. I think those students should go uh, and their theater departments are viable. But if they're not really actively figuring out how to make it better and you're an undergrad and you're not a senior and you still have all these core requirements, you know, go online to the community college, do something. You know, I gotta figure it out. Cause it's, it's really-
1: You could spend a year doing-
0: If I was a freshman. If I was a freshman.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess we feel this is like we feel like with one week's notice, because we're not like other schools, it wasn't in the middle of our semester. It was right at the end of our winter quarter, which means we had to start a 10 week quarter in on Zoom. And so we were given one week to figure out how to teach our stuff online. And you know what? I would say across the board, many students are doing very well and getting a lot of great teaching and learning a lot about themselves. Some of them are doing better than when they were in person because they had issues actually being in a group and being watched. Um, And there are some students who are not. Yeah. If we have a month or two months to figure out the best online acting uh, uh, curriculum in the country, we're going to destroy it.
0: Yeah, it's actually interesting. I I think, um, you know, I say the flippant thing about being a freshman and coming in and what, what I do, and it's also because of how much I enjoyed my college experience of being on campus and socializing and what that means. But the thing that I was thinking that I'm impressed with is everyone I know in the theater, every school, every teacher is doing like miraculous work on their feet to figure out they don't want to be engaged, you know, they're not just trying to figure out how to be engaging, they're trying to figure out how to be valuable, oh yeah, and and effective, and I think that, and I also see a tremendous amount of sharing of everything that people learn, you know, here's what worked for me, here's what I'm doing, you know, as, you know, when we were putting up By Spirit online, the reason I emailed you, Huh? is because I was like, that came out of, that was a similar thing. We had a week's notice. There were kids were on spring break. They made the call. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, now common practice. Everybody's on Zoom doing whatever. But okay. at the time, it was like, you need to see this because you don't have to shut down.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Well, what's amazing, I would say, is we now, so, so we had uh, a few shows, like the one that you listened to, Um, that switched to live radio plays, and those were able to be fast and dirty and just sort of make something happen. And I would say there's no way that those actors get to that level of text work if we were in person. There's just no way. I mean, the level of text work was quite high, quite high.
0: Well, my plan with Play Spirit, and I may have already said this on the pod, was to go back to the table that week anyways after break because... The play is about the text and wit, mm. and uh, and I thought we don't worry, we don't need to worry about blocking. It's fine. That's not what makes this play, you know. And so, because we didn't have any blocking, you know, right. we did actually within the frame and stuff, yeah. but but not really. The, the text work was key and excellent.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, so we, I mean, I think we definitely benefited from for your pod listeners. It was Measure for Measure that I was rehearsing. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> and we had a week in person where we were imp- we would read a scene and then improvise it in our own language on our feet. And that's how we did our original ta- quote-unquote table work. The next week in person, weirdly because I was out of town rehearsing a show that has been put on pause, the text coach came in and had a week of text work with them, like really digging in. And then we had a two week break. And then we came back online and we're like, and then we were in a state p- of morning and the show pretty much almost fell apart. And then I, cause there were so, what could we do? We could do this, we could do that. We could do this, we could do that. What are we gonna do? And then one day I'm like, okay, well, let's just try some stuff. So we tried what you were doing, the Zoom reading with the screens up and it was okay. And then we turned the screens off and all of a sudden it was like, oh, the play's happening. Like the actual play is happening. Like there was this kid who I was like, is he ever going to get that text? I just don't think he's ever going to get that text. Then the turn the screens off. And I was like, well, it's like Sir Lawrence Olivier. What's happening? Like, where did Heck. that come from? It's like, and so that was, and then once they heard that, they're like, let's go. And they were all in and we just, and they kept digging in and digging in and digging in. And digging in. Well, that is what
0: I, I sort of love about uh, this online theater thing that's happening and what I'm seeing with everybody is like, uh, one person will see one another actor, another artist do something great and they get com- competitive and like you said, let's go, they jump in, they wanna go to the next level. And um, uh, and I do, I think it's really valuable, much like in the room, that it's, you're pushing each other and challenging to grow, but you need to, it's a different platform artistically.
1: To, no, totally. To cool. learn how
0: to push and grow.
1: Yeah, that's right. And then then and then just this week <clears throat> we're putting out uh three different websites. Uh one is it was a new play. One was a new play. And it was about the parents of John. The original play was John Wayne Gacy's parents um in a room like having this long drawn-out battle about about their past the website is um a box it was called boxing to begin with the website is a box and when you go into the box there's all these artifacts click on an artifact and you hear like a monologue about that click on another artifact you hear another more and then you go deeper to the box and you get more stuff and more stuff and more stuff and it's kind of like piecing together the mystery of what's going on
0: i think it's great and i think um I think the one thing that I'm encouraging people to do like you're doing about the class and to keep moving forward is it's forcing us to become, you know, we're not traditional theater directors the way it's been work, but we are creative storytelling, creative and imaginative storytellers. And Mm -hmm. we're finding new ways to tell the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's totally, totally right. And then I just, the other thing I just did was um, so, I wrote an adaptation of a children's book called lunch money by Andrew Clements, who wrote his most famous book is Frindle. And, uh, it was, it is scheduled for next year. We shall see. Uh, and I'd always planned on doing a text workshop. And so I did one, you know, and so we, and it was great, you know, we got together four times and it was like any other script workshop. Like they would have ideas. I would write them down. We would listen to things. I'd hear where things were wrong. I'd make some rewrites I'd bring it in. Something that I think that we should do in the future is that the script was a Google doc. That was the only version of the script was this live document. And everyone read off of that at all times. So we never, no one printed out one page. So that was helpful. And I could make changes on the fly if I wanted to. And and then we had a reading where, you know, I don't know, 15 people came or something like that. Had a talk back afterwards. I learned a ton. It was great.
0: It is great. And I think, yeah, the online pub not only can you share the Google Doc, but it also means you can work with people no matter where they are. It does cool. not change table work at all.
1: That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah. I'm also, here's the funny thing I'm doing also. I'm finished now. So la- I had the weirdest job last year through DePaul. They said we need a director for our commencement ceremonies I'm like, I don't think you need a director for your commencement ceremonies. They're graduation ceremonies. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. And they would drag me to meetings. I'd go, like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why you need a director. Is this stupid? And then the meeting would go on. i go, like, well, that you guys obviously should try this, this, or this. And they're, like, <laughs> and I'm, like, well, why, we, why do we even have a graduation ceremony? What's the purpose of it? And they're, like, oh, good question. And I'm, like, okay, oh, I guess you need a director. So I was the director of the graduation ceremonies. I actually, you know, in every graduation ceremony, there's, like, a little bit that's like the, this person walks up and says this and this person says this and this. I actually had little rehearsals where I had to teach, like that was awesome because they were like, rehearsal? And like, I like yes, stand over there and now stand up and now say the actual lines. And they're like, now? I'm like, yeah, now. Like they had to figure out like, yeah. It, and then afterwards they're like, it went better than before because I rehearsed it. I'm like, well, yeah, well, go figure. We have found in the past that when you practice something, it goes better during the live event. So then this year they're doing a virtual ceremony. I was like, they're like, we want to hire you again. I'm like, what are you, ta- uh, what am I gonna do? This is ridiculous. But in the end, of course, I had some thoughts and then I coached each Dean. Like, I, and they're, they're taping their speech in their house. And so we had Zoom coaches like sessions like this. I also coached the, I was able to coach the president who was being filmed at the the university was being filmed. They did a socially distanced filming session in a big room. And I'm like, I'm not going to that. But, and then someone said, we could zoom you into that. I'm like, great. So I zoomed in, gave a few thoughts, all of them did better. And the last thing was, this is what made me think of it, was, you know, there's every graduation, there's a alumni inductor, right? Who's like, I'm an alumni, and you are about to become alumni. So Da, 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 da. We got Joe Kerie to do it. So, you know, you're not gonna get Joe Kerry to fly in to do all your graduation ceremonies, but he'll tape something from his house and his his lovely his remarks were lovely, and he was just like, Oh, the star of Stranger Things is telling you you're an alumni now. That's pretty cool. So, you know, it's fun.
0: <laughs> it is fun and and the access is nice and the rehearsal is nice. And I wanna It's very funny, because I've been saying that the one fatality of the coronavirus that I am mourning is rehearsal. Because Mm. when you said, and I was going to correct you, when you said the play you know, you did the Zoom reading. I'm like, it wasn't a reading. They were acting, and they rehearsed the play, and they rehearsed for weeks, as opposed to a lot of dreck that I see put up that is unrehearsed. That people, you would not, that thing you said, and we invited 15 people to Good because you would not have invited a billion people to watch that ever before. But now we're we're online, so I want people to pay attention.
1: Did and, you see what do we need to talk about? The Richard Greenberg, Oh, the Apple. Yeah, yeah, so good. I thought it was oh. so.
0: It was so of the moment and perfect for the form and and rehearsed and why it should be up and running. As long as it is, because they treated it like a
1: play. Yeah, yeah, it it was a play. That's that's why they treated it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I felt like, I mean, that's a specific kind of theater, which I think he's making, which is, you are a fly on the wall, eavesdropping on the most personal conversations between these people, and in that way, this was done perfectly. You know, that's it was that's what it was. It was like I was able to eavesdrop on the most private of conversations
0: and I'm gonna jump into a question about because we said that was it and I think about the storytelling and it's interesting that you are now the head of performance yeah yeah Paul and and you know and having to think now like what is it that we're doing what is the core I'm gonna guess core value that we give our students, because we're going to be giving in a different form, because one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, besides that I know you and love you, mm-hmm. is that you've done, you've done freelance directing, you've done, you went to grad school, you at that choice, you were an artistic director,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and now you're running a, a well-respected program.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I guess I would say that Certainly, it all started with the decision to go to grad school, I guess. I, there could have been a another path if I didn't go to grad school or didn't choose that. But, it, you know, or even before that, I guess it starts with the fact that I didn't study theater in my undergrad, right? I studied philosophy, right? So, and I thought I was going to be a philosophy professor because my dad was a law professor and I liked philosophy. And I read a lot of philosophy. And so that's what I thought I was going to do. But the very first quarter I was there at UChicago, there was an audition for a play. I was like, Oh, should I go? Should I not go? And someone's like, you should go. And I'm like, ah, I want to go. And I did. And you know, like if I didn't get into that play, <clears throat> I might not know you. I might be doing something different. Who knows? But I did get into the play and then did at least one production in some format <clears throat> every quarter that I was in college as an extracurricular um and so i acted a bunch i ended up directing at the end um cuz there was no major so everyone was doing extracurricular and we had a bunch of like greg codis who wrote you're in town i acted with him at the time david auburn who wrote proof i acted with him at the time jeremy carrickan who wrote who was one of the writers on lifespan of a fact i acted with him at one point like we were all a bunch of weirdos who just i don't even know what their majors were but There were a lot of us who just were very passionate about it, but completely self-taught, right? Uh, And that's mostly good, it turns out. It turns out that that actually is, probably you learn most of it by just doing it. But I didn't know that. I met you at Portland, in Portland, Maine, at Portland Stage Company. And then I was like, I just don't feel like I know what I'm doing, which is why I went to grad school. I honestly did. I was like, I just don't know what I'm doing. And people said, you can teach with that. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm never gonna teach. So you're crazy, I'm going back to grad school because I don't know how to, I just have been making up how I'm directing plays from the seat of my pants forever. You know, I mean, little did I know that when I went there, I wasn't necessarily going to be taught how to direct a play. I was going to be challenged to be a better artist and a better human being by some pretty cool people maybe George Farrens taught me how to direct a play, but he mostly taught me how to direct a play by saying like, hey, here's a two-character, two-person scene. Bring it back next week. I'd be like, "Uh, okay, George. And I would bring it back. He'd be like, hey, this worked, this didn't work, this worked, this didn't work. I'd be like, okay, great. Here's another two-page, two-character scene. Bring it back next week. I'd be like, okay, George. So, I mean, again, still, it was still, but right? It's mostly just trial and error. It was in the middle of all of that. But so when I got out of grad school, I always pursued three different tracks, I would say, at the same time. And I was envious sometimes of my colleagues and friends who felt like they went after one track and they knew it. But I was like, I just don't know. And so the three tracks were teaching, running my own theater company, and trying to freelance. And I always just kept a finger in all those things, right? So, like, you and I both worked at NYU for a while at their um, being directors and sort of co-collaborators with their grad playwrights. So that was teaching of a sort. Um, I did some directing advising also. And that was just enough teaching that when I landed in Chicago, someone's like, well, this guy's taught before. Let's hire him to teach a class. I'm like, great. No, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. This guy's a good director. Let's hire him to direct our students. And then that went well. And they're like, oh, I think this guy's a teacher too. He's taught some. He's taught some. Let's hire him to teach a class and see how that goes. And so that's how that that happened there. But when I was in New York, I was running my own theater company, which was like, I mean, it's, it's kind of a grandiose term to even call it a theater company. It was basically me like by hook or by crook, scraping up free space and as much money as I could to try to make a show happen once or twice a year. That was pretty much it um and you know and and then doing the 10-minute play festivals and occasionally getting hired by other people. I I wasn't very good and to this day I think I'm still not very good at um pursuing freelancing work. I would not say that I have in any way cracked that nut as a, as a thing to, to figure out how to do. So.
0: It's interesting. Cause I, from the outside, from the, from the post New York point of view, when you went to Chicago, it seems like you cracked that nut through being attached to institutions.
1: No question about that. So, so what happened there, that's exactly right. On my own, I was never, I, I don't think I would ever, I mean, I remember so clearly doing the things I thought that one did. Was his name? It couldn't have been Bob Moss. Who was the guy who was in charge? Bob Bob Moss,
0: he did the summer, uh, he did uh, the hangar.
1: I mean, I pursued that guy doggedly for years and finally got him to see a show of mine. And he was like, that was pretty good. By the way, I'm retiring. I mean, like, it was like, what am I doing? I just, and there were other friends of mine who it just felt like they would, go to some party, meet somebody, have coffee with them. And the next day they were directing at their theater company. I could never, ever figure it out. I just could never figure it out. Um, What I was good at was applying for fellowships and applying. And then in one case applying, I I mean, I haven't applied for that many jobs, right? I've applied for like two and I've gotten them. Uh, So, uh, uh, and I applied for fellowships and I got a bunch of them, you know, so i applied for a bunch of fellowships one of them which was like a decent amount of money to spend over a two-year period and by the end of that period i realized i need to get out of new york because this is not the place for me i cannot figure this town out at all i want to move back to my hometown which is chicago and i think i want to be an artistic director and i think a lot of theater in the united states is terrible these are the things that i felt like i learned during that
0: (laughs) (laughs) right they gave you a chance to see that and you went Yeah, this is not for me.
1: And I would say, actually, the thing that also was clear was the only place where I enjoyed the, I think the theater, the city that I enjoyed the theater the most was Chicago. That was true. Like I spent a year and I saw 101 plays in 2001 throughout the entire country. And the the place where I saw the most shows that I liked was in Chicago, I'd say. I saw a lot of plays regionally that I just thought were absolutely hollow and terrible and just felt like a slack filler.
0: And it's kind of lucky. I wanted to say, do you think it's because it hit your sensibility because you're from there? I mean, Chicago happens to be an amazing theater town, you know, but when you were thinking about moving, had you had that experience if you were from somewhere else or had you had that experience in with another city, would you have moved to the other city? Philadelphia
1: was a sec- was a second choice. Philadelphia was a second choice and now you have to know that the sort of prime movers of Philadelphia theater were people who went to Northwestern and were trying to cre- the AF said this to me. Terry Nolan has said like I am tr- we are trying to make another Chicago in Philadelphia. We want homegrown theater. We don't want to hire from New York anymore. We want to hire from inside, but we can only do that if enough people have jobs for people. And that's what happens. That's what's happening in Chicago too. You can only work here. You don't have to keep people do travel, but you don't have to travel. right? And so, uh, and there's now more more, I mean, there was until this pandemic, more and more film and TV work that you could actually really keep actors in Chicago.
0: Yeah, we'll probably talk about that later too, about just the idea of DePaul, like the value of being in Chicago.
1: Totally, it's huge. So um, a person who's like hugely influential on me is Bob Falls, right? In that the reason I think I I even do theater is because I saw a production of Hamlet, His, his famous, famous Hamlet, when he was 30 or something, and I was in high school with Aiden Quinn with the famous, like uh, he came out and he had a spray can and he sprayed to be and then said, or not to be like, it had that kind of aesthetic to it. Right. And I was like, what in the fuck is this? And like, I was just amazed. And then and I actually like when I, en- I ended up assisting him on a production of three sisters that had Jenny Bacon and Calista Flockhart and, Um, a bunch of these incredible Chicago actors in it, Howard Witt, as my final thing in grad school, I realized I was like, I've seen a ton of this guy's plays. Like, I just had seen a bunch of them. And I think that I always loved them. You know, they were highly imaginative, highly theatrical, killer Chicago-style gritty acting, great storytelling. You know, I thought, like, audience-centered, you know, I thought that they were great. And so there's a little bit of that. I also think I remember like seeing a few set move plays now and again and going like, yeah, like that. So there was some, there was something homegrown about me. There is something about me like in Chicago is that I can want to come back to it. At the So what happened was I was finishing up that internship or no, that that the fellowship, or, or I was like two thirds the way through of it. And I was like, oh, I really want to go to Chicago. And I had like, One more segment of money left left over, and at that same moment, my wife and I—so this is almost 18 years ago—had our first kid, Isabella, and I had I I was going to do one more show. The show, in fact, was Measure for Measure, bringing it full circle. And Isabella's name for that Isabella, and she was born during the run of that play. And I said, after that, I'm going to clear the decks. I'm going to not do anything because I need to focus on this kid. And so I did that. And at that moment, because of being that fellowship, I started looking at art search and there was a job opening in Chicago. I wouldn't have looked at it necessarily if I hadn't cleared the decks. I wouldn't have had time to spend on it. But because I did, I was able to focus all of my energy on trying to get that job. And it's crazy to me now, in some ways, that we moved our entire family to Chicago, for a job that paid me
0: $25,000 a year.
1: And that when I got there, the company was so in debt that I didn't get paid for the first three months. You know what I mean? Like it's nuts to me. Um, but I really did think that that was it. Like this is
0: it. That's what you wanted. You mean this yeah. is
1: it. This is it. This is, this is the end. I'm going to – Either I'm going to build this company up to be something astonishing, and that'll be the rest of my life, or I'll build it up enough that I'll get some attention, and then I'll get a job somewhere else. You know, that's going to be what this is going to be. You said
0: you paid all your attention to it, but what does that mean?
1: Great, great. So, I mean, you know, I would say that being the son of a law professor and going to a great Jesuit high school and I will go ahead and say it, going to U Chicago, these, those three things, I think honed in me the ability to be a good writer. Right. And by being a good writer, just being a a clear thinker and then being able to put that down on paper so people could understand it. Right. Um, and so I think in both cases, I was just able to clearly just tell the story I think also, in both cases, uh, I am, at, at the time I was dating and now I'm married to a journalist. That does not hurt. And so she also reads over things and is like, what is this bullshit? Say something. It's so, you know, I mean, all those things. She's, she's been my first editor for a long time. So I guess I feel like in both cases, but specifically the American Theater Company artistic director job, it really was like that first letter, where it was like, "Why would you want to run this theater company?" And I was able to spend a lot of time thinking about it. And I was able to spend a lot of time thinking about why, I'd, what I'd want to do, what was important to me, what I thought about ensemble, what I thought about a, a theater company that was called American Theater Company, and why that was important. What it meant to come back to Chicago, the kind of work that I've been doing in New York, and why that that was important to them. And you know, I was just able to really clearly articulate a thing such that. Nobody knew me, and they plucked that letter out of a pile and said, "Let's have a phone conversation with this guy." Do you know what I mean like that's? I think how that happened. And then, when I knew I was having a phone conversation, I did the next thing I would do. I did, which was, what are all the questions I might get asked? And then I wrote up responses for myself. And then I had a long phone conversation. I remember having one conversation with. I was on vacation, actually at a friend's cottage in New Hampshire, or Vermont. I was getting confused. And uh, I, I remember like talking and talking and talking. And my, and Jennifer is like, I, I think you can stop now. Like just give off the phone. You put, you like, you're, you're, she, she's in love with you. It's fine. Just get out of there. So I did. So then I got down to being flown in. And I think that I later learned who I was up against, which was some pretty heavy hitters actually I'd say that I probably benefited a little bit, which happens, I think, sometimes by having no history. There's no no one had any bad associations about me, right? Um, Only good, and I could come at everything with a fresh view. But I was interviewed by like 35 people at once, along with you know those typical things are like you get. The second you get picked up in the airport, you're already being interviewed, and then you're going to go have lunch with someone, and that's another interview, and then you're going to go have this meeting with the entire ensemble and the entire board at the same time, and then you're going to go to some other dinner thing, and that's another interview, and then you're going to be flown, driven back to the airport, and that is another interview as well.
0: What I like, yeah, and all of that is to know that you're on the whole time, but also that you really built your case and laid it out, you know, talking about your son of a law professor, but you did not shyly say, confidently say, this is what I believe in, this is what I want to do, this is what I, and, and it, and I think having no history is interesting because it's not about oh, the president of the board or so-and-so worked with you six times, they know you. It's like really making yourself known in the way that you want to be known.
1: Right, right. And, it, you know, it turned out that it was like an actor named Patrick McNulty, who they had worked with a few times five years before, something like that, was in my rec- that production of Measure for Measure and wrote back some glowing reviews, so that was helpful but listen they still took a flyer on me it's like after the first show that i directed went up it was like oh thank god you can direct plays i'm like <laughs> "You're bad, right? not knowing that ahead of time friends but um yes i can um, you know um it's funny i think actually of a few key moments that are similar in the same way i'm going backward time a little bit i was Stuck directing 10 minute plays in the 7,500 10 minute play festivals that were in New York at the, in, the, in the 90s, right? There was like every other person was doing a 10 minute play festival and you have to do it for free and it was just exhausting. And I was going to do one more and I was like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of it. I'm not, who cares? And Jennifer said, Well, then don't do it. Don't do it. She's like, Either do it 100% or don't do it. And I was like, Ugh, Okay, fine. I will do it. I'm going to direct the hell out of that 10 minute play. Right? <laughs> and I think it was a play by Jeremy Kerrigan actually called Big Train. I think that's right. And I did direct the hell out of it. And it was clearly the best thing in that festival. Like it blew every other thing. Everything other thing was like half-assed, put the you know, slap together. This thing was a super high quality, well-directed, funny, theatrical experience. And that's when the artist director, Jeremy Dobrish said, hey, I'm a writer and a director and I always direct my own work, but I can't direct my ne- my, pl- my next play because I'm going to be busy and I think there's only one person who can direct this play and that's you. I was like, great, and that's because of that. Similarly, I felt like, you, know, you have a question?
0: Yeah, how did Jeremy, like did you do it for his theater company?
1: It was his theater company.
0: Yeah, okay. And then just that,
1: great. Yeah. And then, you know, I think that like, my first show at American Theater Company, of course, had to be extraordinary, right? Because it's my first show in Chicago. And it was, we had to search around and find a play that we all wanted to do. And I think that we found the perfect play that really ignited, that I was good at doing at the time, and also that ignited some of the passions for some stuff that they hadn't done in a while. And that was The Hairy Ape by Eugene O'Neill, which is like. Pretty expressionistic, weirdo play, but right up my alley, obviously. And they hooked me up with this designer who was just a genius, and it was perfectly suited to that acting ensemble. And I happened to like catch this costume designer who was straight out of grad school who was awesome, and a sound designer too who was sort of like this mad genius. And it was just like, you know, obviously, I poured all of my energy into it because. Had to be good, and it was. It was. It destroyed. You know, uh, it started my not awesome relationship with the uh, the. Oh no, that was a. Who, oh, that's right. It was this this critic who really was a film critic and not a theater critic in the end. So he he gave an okay review, but a different reviewer loved it and thought it was the best thing she'd seen in Chicago in years. And so, you know, that show got the attention of Lisa Portes, who runs the directing program at DePaul. And she saw, and also run, at the time ran the children's theater wing of our program. She's, her favorite play is The Harry Ape by Eugene O'Neill. See.
0: I, I just love, because I remember when you picked it and you weren't sure people knew The Hairy Ape, so you made sure to always say The Harry Ape by Eugene O'Neill.
1: Eugene O'Neill's The Hairy Ape. You're so right. That's exactly right. Um, and that show made a a bit of a splash for me and sort of the company and but also really it got Lisa Lisa Portes saw it and says like you are a director come direct of course because after you see the the Harry Eight by Eugene O'Neill you say this person should direct a children's play theater play but whatever she did and I remember that was like wait a minute I'm gonna get paid how much oh that sounds great and like no one's gonna review this right they're like nope and like so if it does well, that's great because the students have a good time. If it does poorly, no one's going like, to lose a paycheck, right? And they're like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, let's have fun. So like, I just was so free. It was like really so freeing. And of course, I did my best work because it was so freeing. I wasn't worried about how it was going to be received. We just had a blast. And that led to when Lisa had to go on a maternity leave her saying I need someone to to sub for me for class and sub for me for this advising experience and that went well and then when the 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 position opened up she's the one who convinced me that I should apply and I was like I'm not gonna apply for that job it's like I'm in my dream job why would I do that job and you know after I thought about it a while and Thought about what the possibilities were. I was like, "Oh, well, wait a minute." And so then I went through. The, I think a pretty similar process. I wrote the hell out of a letter about here's who I am and here's how I might why I might be why I love your school and love your students and think I'd be a good fit. And then I got to a phone interview. I prepared for that by thinking about every single question I might get asked. And then I prepared for my in-person day, which was the same thing. He's show up at the yep. school. You're on. Got to teach this class. Got to teach that class. Got to have lunch. Got to have this meeting with this group. This meeting with this group. And I would say, I still have the document where I wrote down every single question I thought I might get asked and my response.
0: And and, uh, and testing it also. I think it's I think it's great. And it's funny to think like, oh, I already have my dream job. And if you were to describe. I think that's the fun thing about thinking how life is going to change. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to think, okay, you don't have to teach it to Paul next year. You're in charge of, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're better where you are today.
1: I got very, I mean, it turns out in retrospect, it was easy to figure out, like, the things that I liked about being an artistic director were like, I liked being in charge of a staff of people, I like but mostly I liked teaching them to be better staff members. You know what I mean? I liked leading conversations with art with the with the art with the board. I liked leading conversations with the artistic staff. I hated raising money. I was terrible at it. And in the end, if I'm honest with myself, I was not great at choosing a season. I just feel like I was okay at it.
0: Well, you were talking about why you love this job versus the artistic director thing, and what I think is important and what I'm hearing also is, like, you get to do the things you love in this job. Even And it was interesting, I I talked to um, the literary manager of Jiva Theatre last week, and... um, It was interesting, even when you were talking about the graduation ceremony, you're like, why do you need a director? And then you end up directing it because that's what you do and how you do it. And she was -hmm. saying a similar thing, like I asked about play selection, you know, what's her role? And Mm -hmm. Jenny Werner was saying, oh, I sort of it. I asked the questions of why are we doing the plays and, Mm -hmm. you know, make it, and and falling into that role. And I thought, yeah, it's when you get to find that job and position that utilizes the muscle that you, like to work out with, you know, that makes you feel like you're in flow is a great place to be.
1: Well, that's great because I will say that like, what was interesting was, so when I, like the last show I directed, which was stopped in the middle, right? It was this new play called My Father's War, new-ish. It had been done 10 years ago, but then he rewrote some stuff and it got better and better as we went. And he was still rewriting in the room. Uh, at, um, Bob Ford, who is the writer of the play and also the artistic director of Theater Squared. And we had this two-week process, and then we stopped, you know? And the way that they work things, it's like you have two weeks, and then you have a week. You, like, have a little half of a week, and then you're in tech for a weekend, and then you're in previews, and then you open. It's very fast. But I will say I have it's sort of sad. I've not been, I think that was the most I was in flow on a show, probably ever, honestly. And, um, I showed, jo- they, I, I joked, we were having a final check-in, like we did a final run through and it was a very meaningful show. And the cast bonded in a way that I haven't had a cast bond in a while. It was pretty extraordinary. I had a show, uh, I'm not going to say what that was. I had a show at some other time that was a professional show where it was very, very, very good, but we had one person who had some ego issues. And so it wasn't perfect. I spent a lot of time managing that person's ego. Um, In this case, I didn't have that issue. And so we we did a final run through that was beautiful. And I was like, if this is all, if this is it, if we never, if nothing ever happens again, besides this one run through for the staff, and some students of the lead actor. Great, it's ephemeral. Life's ephemeral, this business is ephemeral. It's like, if it never happens again, like this was a perfect event. So uh, on half of the set with some of the costumes, you know? Um, And and at the end of it, we check in, everyone's like, everyone says like how they thought it went. And I said, well guys, I really feel like I learned how to direct this play, thanks a lot. And they all laughed, because it, you know, I knew that it was going well and I knew that I was in flow and I knew that I was doing a good job. And so maybe it seems like, well, this guy, he knows, he must know what he's, he knows what he's doing all the time. I'm like not all the time friends. So uh, this time just went well. And I do think it was because why I've been like spending 12 years observing rehearsals right, and giving notes on other people's rehearsals, right. I have been teaching acting specifically for 12 years also, right, and so learning how what each, how every actor is different, right. Um, I've been, and then working professionally enough that I understand the difference between working professionally and working with students. Um, and so, yeah, I did a, a lot of teaching during that rehearsal, and I had actors who were receptive enough to that. I think that was the thing with this other person, actually, who was a a pain, was he just refused to admit that he could learn anything anymore.
0: Well, it's interesting. One of my questions that I like to ask, and I think you might be answering it at this moment, is what do you think, after this amount of time, what do you think you carry with you into the room that you didn't?
1: yeah i would say that like um i finally would say now that i just as it uh, 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 i love to learn things do you mean like so i went up for i've been very very lucky to not only get tenure but then a year ago two years ago i don't know uh become a full professor which is just this it just is the last stop where you can like get a pay bump. And also you're no longer called assistant professor or associate professor. You're just called professor, whatever. And the, the, I, the basic, I think I sort of, and I'm in boy going in for tenure or going for professor, same thing. You had to write out, here's why, here's who I am. Here's what I believe. And I said that something along the lines of when I'm watching a play I enjoy enjoy I, as I said, I'm paraphrasing so it's not as good but I enjoy moments where I laugh or I gasp or I say huh and I'm sort of famous in my school for being a very loud huh person right loud very loud and um it's because and then my favorite moment is that moment where I learn something. You know, I I want to keep learning. I want to keep learning new things. I just finished reading *The Mirror and the Light*, Hilary Mantel's final stage of the Thomas Cromwell uh, trilogy, and oh my God, top of her game, like again and again and again, just like this observation about humanity. We're like oh 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 right wow. And so I think what I carry into the room now is like an insatiable desire to learn something new and i think that when i was watching this rehearsal i knew a lot of things about it a lot of things i did not know and i would say i don't know what this is so let's figure this out and also i think the last part was if i was watching a scene and i tuned out in the past i might have let that go and, and then this time through, I just never, never did. I never let it go. And I never said to the actor, I tuned out here. Uh, although sometimes I would, actually. Sometimes I would just say, like, hey, sorry, in this one section, I kind of got lost. Or I didn't understand what's happening here. Or or I kind of tuned out. And they'd go, oh, okay, great, great. Let me get on that. You know, they would take the challenge of, like, and we built the room to that point where they weren't offended like this jerk's telling me I'm boring you know it was like oh that's my task is to figure out what's going on here but I started to figure out like oh I'm just not learning anything right I'm no longer interested because nothing's happening I'm not learning anything and if I'm not learning anything why am I here
0: yeah I think that's true right that's for the audience the audience also like you want to be leaning forward it's got to be about discovery if it's not yeah. about discovery it's I don't, you know, I don't need to be told a story that we already know.
1: Exactly right. And so that that's become this thing of just like, yeah, delay that event as long as possible. Delay it, delay it, delay it, delay it, delay it. Don't decide until you have to decide. Just wait, wait, wait.
0: I've already heard that it's really important, especially as a director, and I think people don't think about it, but it's true, to be a good writer. You have to write out your ideas. You have to be able to articulate a vision, especially if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a professor, if you want to be an artistic director. These are going to be important skills. Since you are a professor full and a great director and writer, but I'm curious if you have advice. Is there things that you think about, if you were starting this experience right now, things you would have said yourself, or to yourself, or just to the people who are entering the career, beginning it, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I wanna say, just because I don't want anyone to be discouraged who feels like they're not a good writer, to can't do it, I, as you know, like I am, I just finished up writing a second book. The first one was How to Read a Play, the second one, How to Rehearse a Play, based on interviews with 40 directors for each book and those interviews, some of the most talented directors whose work I've seen that are just extraordinary cannot put a sentence together. And you're like, how in the heck does this person direct a play? But they do somehow, so whatever, I don't to say. They're not my favorite interviews because when I go back and listen to the transcript, look at the transcript, I can't find the quote to pull to put into my book, right? But that said, yes, I personally, put my student directors through a ton of writing. they have to do a lot of writing for me and they have to write mission statements and they have to write um, uh, manifestos and they have to write you know vision statements and they have to write why I would direct this play and how I would direct this play and what I would think about this play I mean they have to say it out loud and they have to write it down on paper and so that certainly is something I believe in and we probably don't take many students at Paul, who don't have at least the potential to communicate well. Yeah, I mean, I think that like, I think that I would, I can only give advice about what I was successful at. So I guess I would say, um, I would say apply for everything you can apply for and then write out your response to these questions and then read them out loud. If you cannot read that thing out loud and feel good about it, then it's a bad piece of writing. If you start to say the sentence and you can't actually understand it, that's because you don't know what you're saying. So then you gotta go back and ask yourself, what am I saying? What am I saying? And if you don't know what you're saying, then you you have to figure out what is the method that jogs your imagination? Is it journaling? Is it going for a walk? Is it going swimming? Is it talking it out with a friend? Is it whatever it is that you need, and that's similar to like I go to say like the thing that you should be doing is reading every new play you can get your hand on. And you should also be reading every Shakespeare play and every Susan Murray Park's play. And you know, you should read all these plays also.
0: Every Shakespeare play.
1: <laughs> okay, maybe not every Shakespeare play. You should read many of them. You should- <laughs> You should, you should read all the major checkoffs, so that's easy. That's four. And then you should read, you know, some of the major Greeks. And, and that's just to go keep, you, hopefully, some, something in there, you read it and you're like, oh, this is the thing I want to work on. And your first your first instinct on that, you probably can't put words to. And that's right. You're just like, oh, this thing, I love it. And that's great, you, if, you, if, you, if you read a play and you had a super clear thesis statement about it right away, then maybe it's probably not that interesting to you. But if you just have a visceral like, oh, this thing, I love it, that's great. Now you'll have to go back and go and find different ways to say, why do I love it? What, how would I tell this story? What's my point of view on this thing? How would I deliver this to an audience? What, what is the beauty of this piece? You know, why am I attracted to these characters? What You know, What what is the way in? Why should it be told now? To whom? Where? You know, all, all those questions. And then you should say that to a friend. And if they're like, I know that you like this play, but I still don't know why, then go rewrite it. And then if they're like, oh, I, you know, so th- those are my thoughts.
0: And it's interesting because it's not only about getting the, it's not just about getting the job that you do that, it's articulating that because once you can articulate that ownership, you can share it with designers, your cast, your everybody involved, and it's going to come out in the work.
1: Totally. And I think that your first read, there's an initial gut response and you can write down any of it and just all that's fine. And then you have to keep articulating things of like what gives a play beauty and why do you want to do it and why this audience um you know (laughs) it is going to take a lot to get people to get back into a room together to watch a story right it is going to take overcoming fear and overcoming now probably if this is normal then going into a room with other people is abnormal, right? And so it's it's going to take something to get people back into a room together, and therefore there needs to be a pretty clear why. Why must we tell this story? Why must we tell it now? Why must we tell it in this way now? Why do you need to get out of your house and be with other people to see this play?
0: Thank you, Damon. That's great. And absolutely what he was saying at the end there is absolutely what I was thinking, you know, at the, I've been talking about is being intentional in your work. And also one of the things we both agree on about, you know, why do we have to do this play? Why this play? Why this play for this audience today? And I loved what he said at the end, you know, basically it's life and death. If you're going to, you know, stakes of a play are life and death, but if you're now asking people, the stakes are your health to come to a play, you better have an important reason to, to do it, and to share it, and to be clear about that. And I, also, I really like the idea of talking about it, sharing the work, and, you know, it was interesting You said about the writing, like, if you can't, if you don't understand what you wrote, then you don't know what you mean, and stuff like that, and I thought, right, getting back to the simplest thing, I'm, is to just say it, you know, I have a playwriting workshop that I'm, that I facilitate, and I was thinking about that, and going, you know, sometimes when things get complicated, and they're not clear, it's just because of fear of just stating the basics, here's what I want. And when that happens with that simplicity and that clarity, it illuminates the scene, it brings it to another level. And I'm thinking about just the simplicity and clarity of like, oh, I want to do this play because, you know, and being really clear as to what it means to you and not trying to be smart, not that you're not smart, not trying to be fancy, be direct, be clear, and come from your the simple clarity of what it means to you. Out of that, all the other ideas will come along with it. I know it's really, Damon's great. It was nice to hear him talk. I mean, it was great to just talk to somebody who I've been on the directing journey with the whole time and, you know, hear about how he goes about building his career and his life and living in his hometown. His hometown happens to be Chicago, a great theater town, but going back to where he feels, where he grew up and where he feels comfortable and knowing at this time, I think people are thinking a lot about where do they want to live and where do they feel comfortable if they're going to have to pursue their work in a different place, in a different way that you don't have to, doesn't have to be envisioned the way they had always thought it. And it's okay to go, you know, go to your hometown, go someplace where you're comfortable, go be exposed to where it's easy to walk around in nature and also find your creative community wherever you are online through the internet or, you know, in your neighborhood, whether it's in Brooklyn where I am or, you know, out in Denver, where a bunch of uh, friends of the farm are, and so it's uh, it's good, really good to be clear about why we're doing it, and also know that it, it's going to be, it's really, it's okay. It's okay to do it however you need to do it right now, and we're all figuring it out together. Thank you for listening. You know, we're doing, this is season two of the podcast. We're doing one more episode, and Of this season and it's been great. The conversations are incredible. A lot obviously has gone on from our first conversation with Trevor Long when he was finishing his run on Ozark and then we went to Liza. Not going to go through all the guests but we went through Liza and then she ended up winning the Drama Desk Award for Halfway Bitches. She was in rehearsal when we were talking about that. You know then there's a pandemic and then Black Lives Matter protests took over. And um, and now we know that we're in social distancing, at least through the end of the year in New York theater. And, you know, a lot's happened. And I'm just really glad to have the conversations with the people who've sat down to talk and thankful that you're listening. And I hope it's useful. And if it is, please share it with people. Uh, let us know, rate us on, you know, five stars on iTunes. Actually, Apple has now broken it up to the podcast app so you can write it there i know it's helpful and useful to get people to listen and mostly i just hope everybody's doing great staying healthy doing what you can to care for yourselves and with that we're out